Let me tell you a real quick little thing about Bobby Jones, and I'm, I'm, I'm gonna, I think it needs to be said as we, as we move on because it, so you understand a little more about him. Uh, most of you, I, I would say, probably know very little or, 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 or whatever. By the way, that's from a movie called Bobby Jones' Stroke of Genius, which just came out last year. And uh, it's a great movie, a character study on Bobby Jones, very accurate, and hi- historically accurate and so forth. And I recommend it. It's a great movie, and, uh, and especially if, you're, if you like Bobby Jones in the 20s and 30s, period piece and so forth. But um, let, me g- let me give you another quote of Bobby Jones. I think this is kind of cool. Somebody complimented him one time because he called it penalty on himself. And you need to understand that about golf. That's the only sport really where you do that. Uh, sometimes you, you do something wrong and, and you have to call it on yourself because nobody else may see you. Your ball may slightly move or, 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 or whatever. And uh, they praised him for calling a penalty on himself. Here's what he said. When he was praised for calling a penalty on himself, he says, you might as well praise me for not breaking into banks. There's only one way to play this game, with honor. Um, Bobby Jones lived from 1902 to 1971. And uh, I'm not going to go through all of his statistics for you because it wouldn't mean a lot unless you're really a golf fan and so forth. But let me just tell you this. Most uh, all of us now have heard of Tiger Woods and all that he has accomplished. Bobby Jones accomplished everything that, that Tiger Woods has accomplished and hopes to accomplish by his goals, and he did it by the age of 27, which is how old Tiger is right now. He retired after winning the Grand Slam. The Grand Slam is four major championships. It's been modernized a little bit. In those days, the Grand Slam was the British Open, the British Amateur, the U.S. Open, and the U.S. Amateur. There are, there are four of those every year, or there's one of those every year. Altogether, there's four in one year. Bobby Jones is the only person who ever win all four in the same year. Tiger won four in a row one time, but not in the same year. Bobby Jones is the only one to ever accomplish that. He was the first person to even win all four together. Um, after he did that, 1928, um, 1927, 1928, he, um, I'm sorry, it wasn't that, it was 1930-something, but anyway, he was 28, is what I'm trying to say. He was 28 years old, he retired, started practicing law, and uh, never went back, except for one time to play in the tournament that he started with a little club that he started in Augusta called Augusta National. And uh, which, of course, now is the master as he started the whole thing, uh, and that was to be part of his legacy. Quite, quite, a, quite a gentleman, quite a man, and um, obviously I'm a fan. And, and, but I really want to center in. One of the things you'll read, and you can just look it up anywhere you want to, Bobby Jones' bio, just do a Google on it, and you'll, you'll see a lot of different articles on Bobby Jones. And, uh, but one of the things you see is as a young man, he had a huge problem with his temper. This sort of climaxed it, this little uh, depiction in the movie. As a matter of fact, after this happened, um, the record tells us he never threw a club again. And before this point in time, that was something that he was noted for. Somebody obviously almost got hurt as a result of that. Um, So here's what I want to kind of just jump off on that and get you to think about with me. And that is this. Some valuable lessons in self-control. The Bible talks about this, obviously. The Bible talks a lot about self-control and anger and so forth. What I did, I wanted to do some other, some other, other things that kind of relate to that because sometimes we will look at a scene like that and say, well, I don't have a problem with anger because I would never throw my golf club or, or whatever it happens to be. I will never just have an outburst. That doesn't mean you don't have a problem with anger. Because I believe all of us 
in one way or another have to deal with anger. I found this, and, and you can find this website. Uh, I'll have it. It'll be in my notes in, uh, on, on our website this afternoon. But um, it's uh, angermanagement.com, not angerman. No, you can't, uh, it's a different way of spelling it because if you do angermanagement.com, you get the movie that was out a few years ago, which is okay, but, I mean, it's not what you're trying to accomplish. Um, but in this angermanagement.com thing, oh, there, I have it, I have it there for you. Um, they do a, a really cool thing in just kind of giving some of the different faces of anger. Now, and I'm going to go through these. This, this is their words. I just, I just copied their words just to kind of help you think through this, just so that I can think about it because I'm, I'm one of those people. Rarely, um, I do some, but rarely do I just get so mad where I have an outburst. But that doesn't mean I don't have a problem with anger, does it? Because it, it's in different forms. And uh, some, of us, some of us probably... Yeah, have different, different ways of showing it. Let me go through these real quick. Just, I'm going to just kind of blow through them, think about them. Maybe you're in one of these or not. Some ways that anger shows itself. Anxiety, mean-spirited, rebellious, sarcasm, sarcastic. Sometimes being sarcasm or being sarcastic or using sarcasm is what I should, what I should say. Um, it's just a form of anger. Feeling worthless, vindictive, paranoid, resentful. Hostile, grumpy, victimized. <laughs> it's their words, it's their words. Okay, I'm sorry. Grumpy. <laughs> uh, victimized, frustrated, <laughs> depressed. Nothing quite like that. Uh, bitter, numb, destructive. Someone, we were talking about this in our Tia 10 group on Friday morning, and somebody said, you know, the silent treatment. You know, we, we think of, of, of anger being outburst of anger. It can be the silent treatment. That can be anger too. Somebody pointed out in our group that we were, when we were talking about this, and I thought it was very insightful because I hadn't thought about it, frankly. The, the silent treatment really is just another form of emotional abuse. And, and, and all of us, maybe all of us, certainly many of us can relate to either using that or having it used upon us at one time or another. Probably all of us have in one way or another. That's anger. You know, it's not throwing a club and cursing, but it's still anger. So, sometimes people get into their anger. Here's a great word that I really like. comes back from my roots. Sometimes they just wallow in it. You know what I mean? What the pigs used to do, for those of you who aren't, weren't raised on the farm. There's wallow in the mud. Sometimes people just don't wallow in their anger, whether it, be, whether it be one of these things, whether it be, you know, rebellion or or paranoia, or vindictiveness, or just being hostile, or, or being depressed, or being bitter. Just wallow in it. Um, these are some names that we give to our feelings of anger, and, and you can kind of think through that and maybe try to... One of the first steps would be for us to try to identify that in our own lives. Sometimes our anger is at others. Sometimes the anger is at us. Sometimes our anger is at self. Sometimes it's a residual anger. Sometimes it's, it's an abstract type of thing. We'll talk more about that in just a moment. But let me just show you this. This one quote from an American writer that I just thought was really good. Anger is a signal. All right? Anger is a signal and it's worth listening to. And it is. So if you find yourself in that long grocery list of things, I just, you may want to just stop and listen. Here's what I want to do. Uh, I can't, I'm not, we don't have the time for a whole exhaustive study from the Bible on anger. I just picked out some verses that that have meant a lot to me and some verses that I thought would especially be apropos to this subject, just to kind of get you to think along these lines with me. I call them God's keys for anger-controlled living, all right? Again, it's not a formula, but it's just some keys. God's keys to anger-controlled living, all right? 
So starting with that, just kind of follow through with me in this whole thing. First thing is this, and I've already touched on this, but we must be painfully honest. We must be painfully honest. And these keys to anger-controlled living. Um, Self-deception can be habitual. And we need to think about that. One of the passages from the Bible that I go to, actually a lot, uh, again in Proverbs, some of you, if you've been here very much, you know I go to Proverbs a lot. It's because it's just, I love Proverbs. But um, let's look at this proverb. Proverbs 28. People who cover over. Now, what I've done here is use all the words that different translations use for this. People who cover over, conceal, hide, or whitewash their sins will not prosper. But if they confess and forsake them, they will receive mercy. Don't, come, don't, don't lie about it. Be honest. Everybody knows anyway. That's the funny thing about that whole thing. You know, we think, well, if I don't tell anybody, they won't know. <laughs> Wrong answer. It's obvious to everybody else. Why is it so many times we're the last one to finally belly up to the bar, so to speak, and say, yeah, I got, I got, I got some issues. I got some issues. Be painfully honest. For many people, it's become a habit, and it's hard to be honest about that. When we start looking at that whole list of things and that you can, the, the way anger can look and, and all the kinds of stuff and things you can do and be and so forth, be honest. Because the thing about this verse that I just like so much is when you cover over things, it's not good. I was talking to a young couple that, that uh, asked me to marry them, officiate their ceremony later this year. By the way, you guys uh, will like this. I'm doing a ceremony in, uh, in the city, Midtown, um, the same place where Jay-Z had his birthday party. Does that mean anything to you? That, it, it, it doesn't mean anything to you, but it does to you. Good, okay. I thought it was kind of cool. I want to be called MC Rich for now. But anyway, um, um, he's, for, those, for, for, the, <laughs> for the uninformed, he's a big rapper, okay? I, I think, is that right? Okay. All right. I'm so culturally relevant. It just blows me away sometimes. But um, <laughs> anyway... Uh, and I was, I was talking to them about their getting married and so forth, and I just said to them, um, I said, we have any secrets? And they looked at me kind of funny, and uh, I said, can I have secrets from each other? And one of them said, that's a real good question. <laughs> and I said, maybe you two need to talk a little more. I said, I don't need to hear them, but you both need to hear them. Whenever we start keeping secrets from each other, even, 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 even as silly as this sounds, sometimes from God. Uh, you can't keep a secret from God, but sometimes we act that way by not admitting things, not acknowledging things. That's not good. That's what this verse is talking about when he says, people who cover over, who conceal, who hide, who whitewash, they're not going to prosper. They're going to die on a vine. They're going to become emotionally drained. They're going to be not very happy people. God never intended his people to live that way. I want you to understand that. He never intended that. He doesn't want you to live like that. He doesn't want any of us to live like that. That's the first key we talk about anger-controlled living. Be painfully honest, at least with yourself and hopefully with some, some people around you. Number two, seek peace with, with the source of, of your anger. Seek peace with the source of your anger. This is kind of tricky. Another, another writer that I, that I picked this up from, and it's just really good. He who angers you conquers you. I don't know if you've thought about that or not, but that's a, that's a heavy thought. He who angers you 
conquers you. They do. Oh, good stuff. Um, this is where you may need to do a little exercise here. I'm going to give you a whole list of things. You don't, don't, these, again, will be on the website. You don't need to write them down. Um, You've got to really determine, who am I angry at? I may be angry at myself. I may be angry at my kids. Some of you are saying, which time? Um, I may be angry at my parents. I may, I may be angry at my spouse. Which time? I may be angry at my boss. I may be angry at my life. I may be angry at a business associate. Or I may, you know, I may be angry at men in general. You know? Or women. I don't know what you said, but I don't want to hear that, okay? Uh, no, they're, I love them down here. I, I know people who are angry at women. Just, just mad at women. Divorced people sometimes go through that. Whichever one they happen to be, they, all men. They, all men are pigs. Well, it's probably true. But anyway, uh, I'm a man. What can I say? <laughs> Got to admit it, right, guys? <laughs> uh, um, you know, we're all women or whatever that word was earlier. But, but, but you know, the whole thing. <laughs> the, whole, the whole deal. Yeah, admit it, okay? Be honest. At least to God. At least to God. Right? It might be, I might be angry at just the human race. I might be a person who's just angry at certain races or, or certain people who can't speak English. Uh, or I might, you know, I might be angry at God because of something that happened or something that didn't happen. You know, and, and the issue is this. Seek peace with the source of you. You've got to identify what that is. That also sometimes can be a painful process. And you may need some help. Maybe it's therapy. Maybe it's just a good friend who can kind of help you think through that verbally. It's good to have friends like that. You won't have very many, but it's good to have some friends like that. Uh, this may involve making peace or whatever peace can be made with your nemesis because you, whatever that nemesis, that nemesis can be a person, it can be a thing. But the point is this. You cannot afford unresolved conflict. You can't afford it. The Bible tells us that, and I want to show you that. Um, it's in Ephesians chapter 4. I'm going to show you right up here on the screen. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 25. Read this. So put away all falsehood and tell your neighbor the truth because we belong to each other. Watch this, verse 26. And don't sin by letting anger gain control over you. It's a sin, the Bible tells us. Don't let the sun go down while you are still angry. For anger gives a mighty foothold to the devil. I am not so naive to believe that you're going to resolve every conflict you have before you go to bed, particularly if something breaks up, breaks out in the evening between you and your mate or, or whatever it happens to be. But the point is, sometimes it may be an agreement to disagree. Sometimes, I mean, we're going to deal with this more and then really do it later. My point, the, I think the point of the Scripture is, the spirit of the Scripture is, you just can't ignore these things and let them go because you and I know what happens to those kind of people, and it's not very good. And all kinds of dysfunctions, all kinds of weird behavioral garbage and personality stuff starts coming out when we do that for any of us, particularly when we, to use my favorite word again for the morning, wallow in that kind of stuff. We just, we just stay right there and it becomes habitual. You can't do that. Does that mean you're going to have peace with everybody? No. What is, I didn't show, I'm not going to show you on the screen, but Romans 12 says this, as far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. There are going to be people who you're not going to be at peace with, but you, all you can do is try. And some people don't want to be at peace. I can't do anything about that. I don't like it, but I can't do anything about that. All I can do is what I can do. And, uh, and in some cases, just say, hey, you know, I'm, whenever you want to talk, I'm here. 
and uh, any place or any time. So, so seek peace as much as you can with that source of that anger, whatever that happens to be, as best as it can come about. And sometimes that, that just takes praying and asking God to give you that ability. Third, third little key here we talk about over anger control, certainly. All right, seek peace with the source of anger. Be painfully honest. Third thing, guard your words and your responses. Guard your words and your responses. A couple of, I'm going to show you a couple of Proverbs that have literally changed my life in the last 10 years. Literally changed my life. Man, you're going to learn something about me, which you might know if you know me very well at all. First one is Proverbs 15. A gentle answer turns away wrath, but harsh words stirs up anger. Changed my life when I started realizing that. Instead of thinking I had to have a retort, whether it be with my wife or whether it be with a, with a business associate or, a, or somebody in church or, 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 or a staff member, or whatever, I don't have to have a quick answer. I might have one, but it, better be, it might be better not to say it. Right? A gentle and I mean, this, 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 this is dynamic stuff. This changes relationships for the good or for the, or for the bad, particularly if you don't do that. If you don't use that gentle answer, I mean, you, you, can see, you can see a disagreement escalate into a major divorce, literally or figuratively, because somebody doesn't respond the right way verbally, and then that just kind of snowballs, and the other ones are... The Bible is just so good here. A gentle answer turns away wrath. Harsh words stir up anger. Now, let me show you another one. Same chapter of Proverbs, and this is just so good. Here it is. The heart of the righteous ponders how to answer, but the mouth of the wicked pours out evil things. Proverbs fifteen twenty eight. The heart of the righteous ponders how to answer. You ever do that? Somebody says, boy, you really look... I mean, I'm going to exaggerate here. Boy, you really look ugly today. They wouldn't say that, but they say something like that to you. The first thing, well, you're ugly too, you ugly... You know, or, or, or whatever our response might be. Whereas the Bible says, hey, why don't you think about your answer a little bit? And many times I've been in those situations and you've been in those situations where somebody says something and maybe you've got an answer right on the tip of your tongue and you're ready to, and, and you can let that, let that sucker fly and you're going to cut them down at the knees and it's going to feel so good. But then you do it and wow, maybe even a relationship is destroyed, certainly severely hurt. The heart of the righteous ponders how to answer. One Bible says, the mouth of the fool gushes evil. Wow. Those are some good things. Guard your words and your responses. I got to show you this. This is one of my, you know, those of you who've been here more than once probably know I love history and I, I do a lot of reading in history and often use it to illustrate certain things here on Sundays, and I'm going to do it again uh, from the Civil War, from my favorite president, Abraham Lincoln. And, um, and uh, he, he, if you know much about the Civil War, um, he went through a lot of generals, almost five altogether, uh, to find the right general. He had some incompetent, incompetent generals that just, I mean, the war didn't have to last from 61 to 65, 1861. It, it really didn't. It could, it could have ended in in one or two years or less, if he'd, had, if he'd had a Robert E. Lee on his side or a Stonewall Jackson, it would have been over real quick. That's conjecture. That's my opinion, but it's an educated opinion. Anyway, um, there was one, one general in particular during Gettysburg. If you saw the movie Gettysburg, you, you, you saw a depiction of him, General Meade. General Meade 
was, is not, I don't think, was not a great general. Because here's what happened. He, after, after Gettysburg, when the, when the southern troops, the Confederacy was really whooped, so to speak, to use their term, really whooped, they had to retreat all the way from, if you, if you know the geography, all the way from Gettysburg, PA, all the way back across the Potomac, actually, to the community where I used to live, you know, outside of Leesburg, Virginia. There's a, there, the, the, the road is right there that they walked down, right beside the golf course. I used to, it is. I'm sorry. I, I know that road very well because it's off to the side of the golf course, to the right, to the right, if that tells you anything about my golf game. And um, uh, it's to the right of that. And it's the road. And I used to get kind of the willies over there because I think that's where these guys walked, right here, this very road. Well, that's a long ways if you're, if you're walking. Well, the, the, war's, the, the battle's over. Lee's got to get his guys back across the Potomac to protect them. And, and all Meade, they're there for the taking. Meade doesn't do anything. President Lincoln wired him, sent personal messengers, attack, attack now, in the war, and all scholars agree, had Meade attacked right then, the war would have ended in July of 1863, which would have saved two years of just carnage, okay, because it was virtually over anyway. Meade called a council of war and sat down and met with his generals. Lincoln found out about it. Lee through great pains, had to build bridges, had to do some barges to get his troops all the way across the Potomac, back over near Leesburg, Virginia, to get him back into safety to Winchester, uh, to Winchester, Virginia. Okay, so all this is going on, and Lincoln's going crazy, and he writes a letter. After this is all over with, the Confederacy, they're back, the, the Confederate troops are back, Lincoln writes a letter. He, he writes a letter to, to Meade, and here's the letter. I have a copy of it, not the original, but here's a copy of it. Um, from the Executive Mansion, Washington, July 14th. The, uh, the war was uh, July 1st, 2nd, and 3rd. So this is almost two weeks after it, and, and, and the Confederate troops are back to safety. And here's what Lincoln says. My Major General Meade, the case summarily stated is this. You fought and beat the enemy at Gettysburg. And, of course, to say the least, his loss was as great as yours. He retreated. You did not, as it seemed to me, pressingly pursue him. But a flood in the river detained him. It detained, there was a flood and it detained Lee. Uh, Till by slow degrees you were again upon him. They were close to him. Again. You had at least 20,000 veteran troops directly with you and many more raw ones within strongly support distance. All in addition to those who fought with you at Gettysburg. While it was not possible that he could receive one single recruit, you stood there and let the flood run down, bridges be built, and the enemy the Confederacy, move away at his leisure without attacking him. My dear General, I do not believe you appreciate the magnitude of this misfortune involved in Lee's escape. He was within your easy grasp. To have closed upon him would, in connection with our last success, would have ended the war. As it is, the war will be prolonged indefinitely, two more years. If you could not safely attack Lee last Monday, how could you possibly do so south of the river, the Potomac? When, can, when, when, when you can take with you very few, more than two-thirds of the force that you had then. It would be unreasonable to expect that. I do not expect you can now affect much. Your golden opportunity is gone, and I am distressed immeasurably because of it. Yours very truly, A. Lincoln. How do you think General Meade felt when he got that letter? He never did. Letter was found in Lincoln's files after he died in a file that said, Letters never sent. Lincoln had told an aide at the time, 
what good does it do now? Nothing can be done. I can only tell him, you screwed up. What good does it do now? Greatest, maybe one of the greatest or the greatest leader of all our presidents understood this whole concept when it talks about guard your responses. You can be right, but it may not do any good. Think about that. So keys to this whole anger control thing, you know, be painfully honest, seek peace with, with the source of anger, guard your words and your responses. Last thing is this, and I just want to hit this very quickly because it's a very simple point. Vin it, talking about anger, vin it, dump it, and leave it with God. Vin it, dump it, and leave it with God. Let me show you a couple of real quick quotes, and then I want to show you what Jesus said. Um, this is a good writer right here. Maybe, maybe, I don't know if you've read, because of our time in Colorado, I, I got into some Louis L'Amour stuff, and, and, I, and I enjoyed some of those things. It's, it's not historic, it's, historically, it was very accurate, accurate, even though it was fiction. Louis L'Amour said this, Anger is a killing thing. It kills the man who angers, for each rage leaves him less than he had been before. It takes something from him. That's a good, th- that's a good thought. Think, think, think about that. Read that again. Anger is a killing thing. It kills the man who angers, for each rage leaves him less than he had been before. It takes something from him. That's why some people who've lived with anger or some form of it all their life end up just being empty shells of people with no fulfillment and no no fun, no meaning. And a relationship with God is so tilted, if there's one at all, and slanted, it's, it's... It's a terrible thing. Emerson, this is so good. For every minute you remain angry, you give up 60 seconds of peace of mind. It's a great thought. Let me show you this, because I want to just give you this thought from Jesus, and and, and this is it right here. Then Jesus says, Matthew 11, Jesus said, Come to me, all of you who are weary, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens. Come back to that. I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let let me teach you because I'm humble and gentle and you'll find rest for your souls. Come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens. And one of those burdens could be anger. You know, you think about those those burdens that could be, I mean, there's there's a lot of things those burdens could be. It could be religion. It could be a burden of being a do-gooder. It could be the burden of, of rules. It could be the burden of, of past disappointments. It could be the burden of, of my sins. It could be the burdens of other sins. It could be the burden of being beaten up, figuratively or emotionally. All of which could point to this thing of anger in some active or subtle form. And Jesus says, come to me. Are you weary of that stuff? You carrying around that load? That's work. Furthermore, Jesus would say, I'm sure you were never intended to live like that. God never created you for that. That's why so much dysfunction and distortion and misery comes out of anger. And Jesus says, bring it to me. Just bring it to me. Then it dump it, and leave it there. And that's what we do. That's why a relationship with God is so 
vital to spiritual, emotional, and physical health of an individual. That's why Jesus says, come to me. Let me have it. Let's pray together. God, these are, God, these are valuable, valuable truths, and, and they're, just, they're just too important to slough over. Thank you, Lord, for your grace and for your love and for the forgiveness that you give us. And for those of us sitting here this morning, for some of us, it may need to start with forgiveness of someone or ourselves or coming to you and asking for forgiveness for ourselves. Lord, you know each person, and, and I believe, God, you can deal with each person individually in their own, in their own conscience and in their own, in their own spirit and their own mind. And I pray that you would do that. We thank you for Jesus that you came and lived and suffered on the cross and died and went to the tomb and rose again to give us not just eternal life, but abundant life and a life free, a life free of just being eaten up with anger and all that might go along with it. We thank you for that, Lord, and we give you the praise for, for, the, for the love and the grace that you show us in Jesus' name. Amen.